Today's topic is emergency preparedness, and we're coming to you from the new Emergency Operations Center at HCA headquarters in Nashville. And our guest is Mike Wargo, Vice President, Enterprise Preparedness and Emergency Operations here at HCA. HCA is one of the nation's leading providers of healthcare services and is made up of locally managed facilities that include 178 hospitals and 119 freestanding surgery centers located in 20 states and in the United Kingdom. Mike Wargo is really a unique individual. Not only, as I said, is he hold an important vice presidency position here at HCA, but he has a vast resume in the areas of uh, counterterrorism as well as emergency preparedness and operations, and also has uh, experience as a flight nurse. Currently, he serves as co-chair of the United States Health and Public Health Sector Coordination Council of the National Critical Infrastructure Protection Program, which is sanctioned by the uh, United States Department of Homeland Security and Health and Human Services. In this role, he serves as a trusted advisor to both federal uh, secretary-level leadership and private industry executives on readiness, response, and recovery initiatives impacting the U.S. healthcare national security uh, system and healthcare system. Now, Mike, as we prepared for this podcast, it became clear that because of the scale and size of HCA, your facilities have been in the eye of the storm, literally and figuratively, when it comes to disasters, both national and natural and man-made throughout the United States. Uh, just last year, uh, you had hospitals uh, that were hit by Hurricanes Harvey and Irma, and your team at Sunrise Medical Center in Las Vegas treated hundreds of those affected by the tragic mass shooting uh, at a concert uh, there in uh, Las Vegas. Uh, But frankly, for HCA, it's nothing new. Um, There were also the recent Austin package bombings, uh, and then going back, uh, the Virginia Tech shooting, the Oklahoma City bombing, and even the anthrax attacks in Florida, which were actually identified um, at an HCA hospital. And of course, as a native of New Orleans, uh, I am all too familiar with Hurricane Katrina. And I think in terms of laying out our program today, I'd like to start there and ask you to sort of talk about Katrina as not just an American tragedy, but in a sense uh, as a watershed event for American preparedness and uh, meeting disasters. Thanks uh, for having me, first of all. Absolutely. The the experience that not only HCA experienced during Katrina, but really the nation as a whole, healthcare globally as a whole, toward readiness was really appreciated. Or maybe the lack of preparedness at the time or appreciation for what was needed was really appreciated. Uh, we all know the devastation that it caused, the magnitude of the storm, but it really brought together the concept of having dedicated resources, really focusing on infrastructure and looking at infrastructure, not just at utility failures, but looking at natural hazards like storms and where do we put our generators? Are they best served to be elevated or ground level? Uh, with Katrina, certainly the experience was we need to move them higher for flood prone areas. Even the resources, what needs to come to bear when something of magnitude happens? Certainly for HCA, prior to my arrival, uh, long before my arrival here, uh, when Katrina happened, 
it was a moment where they realized that it's important to pre-plan and have playbooks uh, to bring resources together for any type of incident, small scale, large scale, et cetera, so that we can continue to provide that patient care in our communities, not just during a disaster, but immediately following and, and managing the continuity of healthcare. Well, Katrina was many years ago, and since then, much prep has been done along the lines that you described. So I guess in terms of these recent events, the playbook came out somewhat different with Harvey and Irma. Much different. You know, uh, playbook is the the key term because we literally have a library of playbooks uh, for natural and man-made type disasters or potentials that we assess, hurricanes being one of them. And that playbook, uh, for example, starts 120 hours prior to the impact of a storm, and it focuses on all the functional areas of uh, our organization. And it starts with, how do we get ready once there's a notice? 120 hours out, we start with staffing plans. We start to mobilize resources into an area. This is way different from uh, the Katrina days in the sense that we certainly are much better prepared because we've learned through experience. We pre-position resources uh, into facilities, into communities, including things that most healthcare systems don't think of, remediation teams. If there's storm damage to our structure. We have teams that are sheltering throughout the storm on site to rebuild the facility, to make sure the plant operates, et cetera. But we've also have on retainer, you know, a, a contract with a fleet of helicopters and planes to not only move patients, what we call de-risking, uh, meaning moving those higher critical patients out of a risk area for a known event prior to the event, we also use those resources to shuttle equipment into areas. So for Harvey, for example, uh, the contract that we had was with a company that also owns tourism helicopters. And we found it more valuable to use the tourism helicopters to fly our nurses in from staging areas into hospitals that weren't accessible due to flooding and get the staff that was in, in the area out so they can go and assess their homes and get their lives back in order. Um, but for us, we had zero days of business closure because we were able to replenish our staff through these resources that we have. But also includes playbooks for events like cyber. If, you know, uh, wouldn't be in our favor that there were or was a cyber event on our wire, how do we go from the digital world to the analog world? And that's a big challenge because one technical system, take an electronic health record, brings so many efficiencies. We can assess our patients and record it. Physicians could automate uh, orders, laboratory results, diagnostics, things that years ago would take dozens of people to accomplish uh, in a very analog or manual process. Newer staff, younger staff who've never experienced that this presents a challenge. So the playbooks are now built to give them an illustration of here's a scenario and here's the expected actions or considerations that we need to take in advance of, as I said, a natural or you know, man-made type event. So Mike, and you begin to, to hit on this, can you sort of catalog for us what the principles are that are really generalizable in these kind of situations that, and frankly, I'm not sure it's just healthcare organizations, but any critical community services sort of have to go through uh, when they think about how to be ready and how HCA gets ready? Sure. So there's a national framework, and it really consists of, of four modules, very often uh, considered mitigation, preparedness, response, and recovery. Here at HCA, we, we have a, a slight iteration change where it's responsible leadership, which really talks about our leadership's commitment to preparedness in general, 
having the resources in place, organizing an incident command structure. And then we have readiness, response, and recovery. And for us, readiness includes preparedness, but it's also the immediate ability to respond. Three tenets that we promote, uh, not just in in a response phase, but communication, coordination, collaboration. Uh, as you can imagine, nearly 200 hospitals, numerous physician offices. It's really important for us to maintain situational awareness. What's going on in the various local communities? What resources might be needed by our facilities or by the communities that we serve? And that's where the communication and the coordination comes into play. The collaboration really speaks to, are we good community partners? Are we meeting with our healthcare coalitions, our neighboring hospitals that every day might be healthcare competition? In emergency operations, it's not competition, it's collaboration. So they're the three tenets that we focus on. And then most importantly, all our actions are really driven by uh, the potential impacts. And the potential impacts are uh, the, the life safety impact, the physical or emotional impact on our patients and their family, our staff and the family or the community. So the, the priorities for our actions always start with life safety, uh, followed by infrastructure. We, we look at hardening our facilities prior to a storm. We look at putting preparedness mechanisms in place to uh, defend and prevent cyber intrusions. Um, that's the infrastructure protection. Then the operations, actually delivering the care, uh, maintaining healthcare operations within the community. And lastly is the mission. You know, what are we doing to maintain the, the integrity, uh, operational integrity of the company uh, based on any type of impact or insult? So uh, we look at the greatest risk, and that's how we also prioritize our actions. You know, when I was growing up, it, it's not so true today, but don't want to show my age. But, you know, you'd go around to different places, and they would be these, you know, nuclear whatever signs. Fallout shelters. Fallout shelters. Someplace in the basement, they were rusting. Uh, cans and boxes of whatever. So I guess for that period, that defined preparedness, which was everybody put it in the basement and put up the the signs uh, on the sides of the buildings. And uh, that was it. And fortunately, nothing ever happened. On the other hand, you know, would that have worked, even though you could have said there was preparedness? How do you, in in an ongoing (laughs) dynamic world, keep yourself ready to actually respond when uh, preparedness can so easily become routinized. So we talk about really goes back to Cold War, civil defense, and, and part of us is reliving that again, you know, the threat overseas to, to Hawaii, you know, the, those duck and cover stories come back out. And civil defense has really matured from civil defense to emergency management. Now, specific to healthcare, it's a maturing model or industry within healthcare emergency operations. So part of what we do is focus on our core business, number one, being healthcare in the community. And when you look at any great impact to a community, somehow healthcare is always involved. Whether it's uh, an industrial fire or an explosion in a community, there's always life safety in healthcare. There's traffic ways, railways, uh, and those type of accidents, accidental or uh, unintentional man-made in- events like a, a train derailment present different challenges. Uh, and then you look inside and we, we are um, an organization, we're an industry that's very much people-driven. We care for people, we're managed by people. Uh, that brings its own threat, be it um, you're traveling and, and you don't have good hygiene and you catch the flu. And now we're interacting with patients and patient family members, and, and we want to prevent them from uh, being impacted by the flu. 
So we really look at a broad spectrum of what can impact our core business to deliver care to the community. And that's where we start to prioritize what has a direct patient impact, what has a, an interdependent or collateral impact on patient care, and then what's the likelihood of something to happen within a community. So there's various assessments that we do called hazard vulnerability analysis. And uh, we look at our top human risks, our top technological risks, chemical risks. And from that risk assessment, we gauge what's the impact on direct patient care, uh, financial integrity of the, the, the industry, not just the company, but the industry as a whole. And then we looked at what countermeasures do we have that if something impacts us, how can we respond to it, mitigate the impacts, manage the core business of patient care, and really the vulnerabilities translate it to where we don't have a good countermeasure or good ability to respond, that's where our greatest risk is. So that's where we focus quite a bit of planning in, in toward readiness, looking at the training and the education for our staff, even simple briefings, making uh, folks aware that a risk exists and, and guiding them, what can they do as individuals and what can they do uh, as healthcare providers. A big component of that is also focusing on the staff themselves to ensure that they have their own personal preparedness and readiness plans. Uh, we talked a short while ago about Katrina versus uh, Harvey and Irma last year and, and a major focus of not only our company, but the responders in general was, is your family prepared? Uh, we know many days in advance a storm is coming. So we recommend it to, to folks if your family can leave the area and seek shelter out of the, the impact area. It's advisable. Uh, certainly within our facilities, many family members came in and sought shelter there. So uh, we weren't even focused not only on the, the, the patients, but now community members that needed to shelter in hospitals. So there's, there's a broad spectrum of risk, and it's really identifying where your inability to respond or have the greatest impact is without additional preparedness. And, and that's where our focus goes. Are there any differences in the way you think through man-made versus these sort of large events as, as hurricanes or, you know, major weather events that sometimes you can see coming, but, you know, but are community-wide versus something that might be incredibly destructive but limited in a sense, uh, but make great demands on the hospital like the event at Sunrise Medical Center that, or the event in Las Vegas that that obviously affected Sunrise Medical Center and the other hospitals there in Las Vegas at that shooting. Absolutely. So there, there's a difference in readiness related to man-made versus natural events. But more importantly, uh, I would categorize it as notice events versus no-notice events. And there's no-notice events that are natural, like tornadoes. They pop up, they go through a community and, and have widespread destruction to a no-notice event like the, the Route 91 or the, the what, what it's known to be the one October shooting in uh, Las Vegas, the risk is there. So it's, it's a known unknown. We know things will happen like mass shootings. We know tornadoes are going to hit, but when and where exactly, we don't know. So there are readiness uh, plans that can go in place for tornadoes, having a communication plan that when the warning goes out from the National Weather Service or your local, that we pull our patients away from the glass windows into hallways, or we, we prepare the facilities the best we can in the event of a direct impact. The no-notice events like a mass shooting, it's difficult to prepare in the communities where it's going to happen, but hospitals considered you know, soft targets to domestic terrorism. Many hospitals do active shooter planning. 
hospitals are very prone to violence because we care for victims of violence. And that brings violence to healthcare facilities. So our hospitals, as well as you know, the great majority of hospitals, put a lot of time into how can we prevent the violence on the everyday? But in the event that violent act happened on our property or within our walls, how do we respond? And again, communication, coordination are key. Collaboration with our local law enforcement, communicating to the staff that an incident's happening, having gone through exercises and practice with them that if, if the overhead for an event like that happens, how do you take care of yourself, number one, uh, personal safety, and then your patient, and ensure that, that we're protecting them and our visitors as much as we can, as the collaboration with our security force and the local law enforcement really go after that direct threat. So the notice versus the no-notice events guides our, our readiness a little bit differently. The notice events, like a hurricane, we've got reports, you know, 72 to 120 hours from impact, we can start to position and have uh, a different cadence of, of readiness activities and coordination. So there is definitely a, a cadence difference. There's definitely an anxiety that's different when you know something is, is going to impact you versus you've got to get into to gear and respond like a, a shooting like Las Vegas. Yeah, the Las Vegas was an amazing event to me. In, in Sunrise alone, there were 199 patients treated in you know, under six hours, which is just staggering. And that, and that was just one of the hospitals in Las Vegas that was treating hundreds of patients. Mike, I should note that uh, you and I are not just sitting in, an, in another office building. We're actually sitting in the emergency center that's been developed by HCA. Uh, can you give us some sense of what went into the thinking when you built this center and some of its characteristics that people might consider unique? Absolutely. So uh, we talked about the scale of HCA and, and part of the challenge as a company as large as we are is uh, if you look at the board out there, our interns started uh, a little checklist and says days since last incident and it's hit two days at its max. Uh, it's at zero again today. Every day the company is faced with a different emergency in the various communities that we serve. So this really serves to maintain situational awareness uh, toward our, our corporation, be it uh, responses to the community, be it infrastructure issues that we have that we have to support throughout the country, to just coordination of pre-planned events goes on here. Um, but you have a series of you know three conference rooms here uh, that are tied together through pretty advanced technology. Uh, the suite itself is on uh, segregated utilities, power, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, internet, phone service. It's got redundant communications for satellite communications. We're below ground for a reason. Uh, Nashville is at risk for tornadoes, so we're not above ground so that if if the local community is impacted, this facility itself is secure. Uh, we don't have the risk of the the, the natural threats like uh, tornadoes and, and the flooding that you know, traditionally has gone on here. But more importantly, it's a dedicated center that during a time of crisis, we don't have to take the resources to transition a conference room into a command center or coordination center. The technology sits in here in a readiness state every day. Uh, we're well connected through uh, social media, monitoring platforms, incident management systems that were logged into the communities and our facilities. So at any given time, you can look at these dashboards and have a pulse for what's happening from an emergency perspective across the company. And we really 
pride ourselves in the, the name preparedness and emergency operations because it's not just about emergency preparedness. Uh, the state where you do your assessments and put things in a readiness state, but it really is about functioning every day and, and ensuring effective situational awareness and communications every day. It's about bringing all the various business functional units together uh, to have a state of mind that no matter what we're challenged with, we come together as a team to, to work through the operations itself to ensure that in each of our facilities, we can maintain patient care at a ready uh, every day. You know, before we close out, uh, Mike, I guess one thing I'd like to return to Harvey and Irma, and one of the things that was unique about that, at least from my observation, uh, relatively unique, was that those storms hit over a short period of time, but vastly areas, uh, different areas of the country. And ironically, uh, HCA was engaged in with you know hospitals in both areas, but it 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 would stretch any organization, even if it was the government, and you had to face that. What are your observations sort of in closing from that? So the, the hurricanes of 2017 were really unprecedented because it was back-to-back large-scale storms with tremendous magnitude. Harvey, as, as lessons from Katrina taught us to prepare and respond and coordinate, what it surprised us with, not just us at HCA, but the community was the storm stalled and what we thought to be a hurricane, which is uh, certainly a rainstorm with high winds became a major flooding event. And the plans for major flooding are very different from a hurricane event. So that challenged resources in the sense that uh, air operations were on hold for many days because the storm stalled for three days. Accessibility to uh, healthcare services to get to our staff and into the community was challenged because roadways were flooded. Our company got creative uh, one of our security managers, Kevin Cleveland, suggested we should get those duck boats that they tour in. And we actually did to shuttle supplies from roadways across some waterways that were flooded that weren't free flowing. And, and we moved resources. So innovation is absolutely key. But the challenge was that it was so widespread across all of Texas, uh, from a local to a state to a federal response. And then those same responders and those same critical resource resuppliers for generators and and pharmaceutical supplies, et cetera, were challenged to now move from Texas into Florida. And there's a there's time to move resources, there's time to take response assets and personnel. And now they're fatigued responding to Texas. We're moving resources into Florida, uh, not just HCA again, but as a nation as a whole, the same people were exhausted. So the manpower became an issue for for many. And that's where the collaboration of what resources do uh, we have, what resources do other companies and services have, and how can we support one another in the community came into play. Challenges certainly in many cases were uh, answered by innovation. There's times of, in times of crisis, a lot of barriers come down, a lot of bureaucracy comes down. People can think on their feet and get access to resources pretty quickly. So uh, we're really proud to see how uh, our company and the community really rallied to to support the needs in the community and to support one another with uh, the various challenges that we're faced with. One of the nice things about podcasts is flexibility. We originally recorded this podcast with Mike last August. However, since then, there have been two major storms, Florence on the Atlantic coast and Michael on the Florida panhandle, that have affected HCA hospitals and patients. 
And so they offer us an opportunity to ask an additional question to Mike, uh, which is looking at the 2018 storms and noting, as you pointed out, talking about preparation for storms in general, that you've seen one storm, you've seen one storm. What was unique and what it what was the experience with Florence and Michael that you think would be uh, most illustrative of how uh, HCA has to have contingencies to prepare for different kinds of storms? Thanks for having me back. And that's an excellent question. And, and I've got a lot to share, but I'll keep it pretty brief. The, the framework that we deploy for emergency operations hasn't changed. So the constant in terms of readiness and response has, has been the point of success for the company and for the communities. When we look at Hurricane Florence, Florence started and we had plenty of notice, well over 120 hours, that a hurricane, a high tropical storm was coming off the uh, coast of Africa, heading in our direction uh, to the point that we almost had too much time. Uh, in, in notice that people, we, we engaged our readiness uh, with our cadence as typical, and the storm was still out there, and it was still out there. We knew at the point of Florence getting closer by 72 hours out that within the Myrtle Beach area, we would either sustain a direct strike on our facility that's right on the water in Myrtle Beach, or we would sustain a, a very nearby strike. So we made a decision quite early in that process and, and early in the decision process is about 72 hours from impact that we were going to fully evacuate the Myrtle Beach, the Grand Strand Medical Center. So uh, right around 200 patients, give or take a few, um, were either early discharged appropriately or transported uh, in the masses by ground to uh, both HCA and non-HCA facilities outside the risk area. And then for our critical patients that required uh, critical care transport and ICUs, uh, it presented a, a very unique challenge to us in the sense that typically we use helicopters or rotor wing air medical to move those sick patients. The proximity of Myrtle Beach to majority of the receiving hospitals that were outside of any risk area uh, where it was safe to de-risk our patients to um, was not a close proximity. So it challenged us in the sense that we had to use uh, fixed wing or airplane medical transport for all of those sick patients. Um, logistically, that that was a new challenge for us that rotor wing could not be used in the sense that it was all fixed wing. Uh, but we had the right partner uh, that that brought those aircraft in and, and were able to um, safely uh, move those patients out of the area. The other component to Florence was the magnitude and the broad scope of where it was going to hit. Uh, it was pretty well known from the southern portion of North Carolina to the northern portion of South Carolina. Uh, that strike zone uh, was clearly identified uh, within the path, and there was tremendous collaboration amongst the healthcare facilities, uh, the state, and, and our partners at um, HHS in terms of readiness. When we look at the response to Hurricane Michael that, that we're still uh, highly engaged in, Hurricane Michael was very much like Harvey in the sense that it was going into um, the Yucatan Peninsula as a high tropical storm and then made this right turn into the Gulf uh, late into the season such that the waters were warm, the evenings were beginning to cool off. And typically what that means for us is storms intensify significantly overnight. And that held true. And where it really paralleled Harvey was 
it was a tropical storm that we knew was on its way, um, but it turned into hurricane uh, conditions much quicker than expected, but also much further into our readiness timeline. So we didn't have the typical five to seven days of, of known significant storm coming at us. It was that low-grade tropical storm that it very quickly intensified to Cat 1, Cat 2, and uh, some would argue that in some sense it, it could even truly have been a Cat 5 in, in certain areas, but it was the highest end of Cat 4 uh, in terms of, of wind uh, impact on the facilities. Where it hit in the, the, the Gulf Coast Panama City area, uh, there were two primary hospitals uh, very close to the water. Uh, our Gulf Coast Regional Medical Center in Panama City being one of them, uh, and, and another uh, community hospital uh, just a few miles down the road. Both of them sustained significant structural damage. Um, uh, the other community hospital, uh, much more than us, primarily because of its proximity closer to the eye of the storm. And then our facility that sustained uh, structural damage, mostly superficial structural damage, and then broader impact on the, the overall healthcare system uh, was truly related to the community impact of no power, no water, uh, no sustainable utilities within the community. Uh, so both, both facilities and the only two in Bay County are out of service in terms of acute care. Uh, I'm not sure the status of the ER at the other facility. Um, this point, our ER facility, our, our, our Gulf Coast Medical Center is operating as a freestanding emergency department transferring any patient that would need admission uh, outside that that region. So it, it sounds like the two storms really were unique. One, one you had time to plan and the other one was on top of you before you knew it. Uh, is there anything uh, that you could say about rain and water versus wind? Because it, it sounds like in the Michael situation, it was really the strength and power of the storm itself uh, not the water that made the big difference. I, is there anything uh, that you prepare for and learned uh, from your Michael experience? Your observation spot on, and, and you said it before, if you've seen one hurricane or one storm, you've seen one hurricane or one storm. The, the Florence was similar to Harvey in the sense that it was almost that stall storm again. The wind impact was significant, but not catastrophic, where the water impact as it went up the coast, uh, the storm slowed, installed, and dumped significant amounts of, of water on uh, northern South Carolina and then um, pretty much throughout North Carolina into the, the capital region. That created a, a tremendous challenge because once the storm passes, it doesn't mean the risk and the threat is over. It actually gives us almost a sense of uh, a false sense of security because what happens, uh, particularly at the Florence event and that, that rain install like Harvey, was the northern waterways and tributaries surge and have flash flooding and sustained flooding. And that water goes south and it goes toward the coast. So we have to very strategically look at where our staff lives, where our tributaries of water lie, what the floodplains and tables are, um, not just during the event, but the weeks following the event because that water is coming back down. So when we again look at Michael, 
that stall and that significant water event really impacted us for two, almost three weeks where the threat of, of community-wide flooding and infrastructure outages existed uh, from a mass flooding event or a major flooding event. Uh, and this is something that, that can be predicted in the sense that there's population growth, there's community growth with hard space from an infrastructure standpoint that we need to be much more aware of. And, and we're dealing with the same crisis uh, this past week in, in the city of Austin, where all of healthcare was greatly impacted from the rain events that contaminated the water supply. Totally different scenario, but uh, again, uh, lessons learned from these storms that, that contribute to more events. Looking at Michael, Michael was almost like uh, a widespread uh, tornado that came through with such high magnitude uh, of wind shear and impact on the community. And if you had the opportunity to go down there or, or just watching the media reports, to see the impact from the wind on that community was absolutely devastating. And the challenges there initially are, uh, one, it's not safe to transverse the community, the roadways, because there's power lines that are down, there's trees and debris everywhere. So pre-staging remediation resources within our facility was a key element to us rapidly getting back to the restoration of that facility. And, and we did that with the anticipation of this looks like a high category storm, which translates to high wind impact. So we did bring remediation teams. They sheltered in our facilities. And literally the next morning, uh, once the storm had passed, uh, they were on site clearing debris, uh, doing immediate repairs to the facility um, and, and cleaning the space up itself so that we can restore healthcare operations as quick as we can. Two different considerations to to, to go into play. And going back into the Carolinas with, with Florence and that, that significant rainstorm, some of the lessons that we, we've brought from there, and, and truly this is the, the mindset and the genesis was from our uh, emergency planners from across HCA. We bring uh, some folks here to the Corporate Emergency Operations Center, and, and during the storms and pre-storm, uh, we put them in a conference room and we give them as much information and intelligence on our facilities as we can provide to them. And to me, they're a, a catastrophic impact um, assessment team. We give them worst case scenario while we're managing the readiness. And they're in a separate room saying, if we have a direct strike, what are the priorities we need to be concerned about? How do we manage the patients if there are any in-house? How do we respond? So that if we have that, that hardened strike, we already have a team that has studied the facilities, that knows what the priorities need to be, is in communication with the, the facility on site, and we can immediately respond and react. The lessons learned that they provided to us from Florence and the flooding event was we need to relook at our hurricane and our major storm playbooks and have push packs for flooding, uh, a flood push pack, which essentially would be flood mitigation um, be it sandbags or some new technology that as the water hits it, itself inflates uh, and prevents flooding. Uh, looking at areas that traditionally have flooded on property and marking the ground so that we know our high-risk areas prior to a flood and we can do different uh, mitigation strategies to prevent water from going in the facilities. That same team that I spoke of during the response to Michael uh, was here in Nashville and throughout the, the pre-storm and into the storm, uh, they did that catastrophic planning for us. So we knew what our priorities would be. We knew how many patients remained on site. We knew what resources it would take and where those patients would go immediately post-storm. 
uh, if we had a significant impact. And we had a pretty moderate impact to that facility, but had a significant community impact which forced, forced us post-storm to evacuate. Uh, we immediately deployed that, that catastrophic planning team as an incident support team the very next day uh, by playing down into the community so that they then went boots on the ground and they assisted that leadership team um, with a list of, we, we've rehearsed this, we feel the priorities are, I want to present them to you. If you concur, let's take action and, and make this happen. Uh, and that was another best practice, I, I really believe, that came out of both of these storms that will inform the future readiness and response of, of HCA to, to future events. So you've described uh, how you're going to treat these storms and then move into the future on the facilities themselves and capacity. On the employee side, on the caregiver side, uh, obviously they're impacted because they live in the community. What kind of things do, did you uh, do with the healthcare workers in both the, the Florence and the Michael situation? Uh, and in terms of those who provide the care, uh, do you have any lessons there going forward? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, this is what makes me most proud to be a member of HCA is to see not only how we care for our patients, but how HCA stood up to care for every single one of our staff members and their family, not just pre-event, but post. And it's truly shown as a company what we've done uh, with them in mind. And, and what we do pre-storm is continue to communicate to them every enterprise and regional a call we have for readiness always ends with prepare yourself, prepare your family. Um, if you are a part of the A or B team that is committed to be on site to ensure that quality care continues for our patients, we will assist in sheltering your families as needed. In some cases, the pets as well. Uh, we, we have plans to manage that because we know continuity of direct care needs to go on and we need to invest in our staff. And that means we need to take care of them and help protect them as well. So we do offer those resources and that coach storm for those that are not working on a high impact event. We encourage them ready your house, ready your property. And if you can throughout the event, relocate, relocate to an area outside uh, the direct impact zone so that you're safe. You don't have to worry about your family, the structure of the property. Uh, we'll get through together post-storm, uh, which we're engaged in. As the storm came through, um, we use our mass notification system that's uh, pretty new to the company to push messages, in this case for Hurricane Michael, to 6,700 employees that live in that region saying HA Emergency Operations is engaged in um, preparing for the storm. Um, you will receive additional messaging from us with resource uh, availability or resources that are available to you post-storm. And we're also going to check on your status to ensure, you know, you're safe and, and you're okay. And we did continue to use that mass messaging system uh, for that throughout. Post-storm, we, ha we had a, an overlay from the National Oceanic uh, Service, and I think most people may be familiar with with this, that they did satellite images pre-storm and post-storm that showed the devastation and the impact. One of the systems that we used was our HR system to look at every employee address, you know, not who lives where, but just the physical address of, of our employees. We did a heat map that we overlaid on that impact uh, map that, that NOAA 
provided. So we were able to quickly assess where we needed to focus on uh, employee residents in terms of what resources can we get to them, where can we set up shelters, uh, our human resources department set up employee shelters for those that, that may have had a direct impact. And it gave us an assessment of what percentage of our workforce may have sustained a, a tremendous loss or a tremendous impact on their life. That simple innovation really gave us the ability to, to understand uh, how much of an impact on the workforce there, there would be. And then we continued those processes throughout uh, until we had 100% accountability uh, from every single one of those staff members that, that, number one, they were safe. And then we began the process of what impact have you had? Can we help you uh, get through the FEMA assistance application process, which is number one, uh, after we get life safety taken care of? Number two, uh, we have an internal system called Hope Fund where it's employees helping employees. Um, so far as teams from across HCA uh, deployed to that hospital and set up an employee commissary where those that had lost can come in and they get a backpack and that backpack has all the basic essentials, toothbrush, deodorant, uh, sweatpants of various that if they have absolutely nothing after the storm, they have the, the basic essentials to life. And then the commissary had cleaning supplies and diapers for babies and formulas and you name it, um, the company thought of it and, and provided that as a benefit to to our staff to take care of them. Wow, that's really impressive, Mike. And uh, I know it's so important that the staff be ready uh, to take care of patients and knowing that uh, HCA is going to take care of them and their families in the process is just so important. Mike, we've, we've, we've spent a lot of time focusing on what you have done as, as, as a company uh, to make sure that the patients and the caregivers come first uh, at the, the, the hospitals. But obviously, in terms of the larger community and the role that HCA hospitals play in the larger community, there's the, the, the governmental ent entities, the other first responders. In terms of these recent storms, uh, what was the level of cooperation? Uh, how did you feel about the coordination was it where we needed to be uh, as a nation when we face these tremendous uh, weather challenges? Chip, I've been in emergency operations for well over 20 years uh, related to healthcare, and, and, and I would say that this has been the most collaborative and effective response and coordination that I've experienced uh, in the majority of my time, not just by HCA to the other facility uh, in Bay County, but more so the collaboration that we had with the state of Florida and their responsiveness, the collaboration that we received from uh, the Office of the Assistant Secretary from Preparedness Response at HHS, the ASPR, um, we engaged with them very quickly um, at the state, at the coalition, the regional level. Uh, our federal partners, um, unlike prior years, have taken approach of a forward lean where they pre-deployed uh, federal assets into the Jacksonville and Mobile, Alabama area, looking at the, the high potential. And that communication with our state partners and coalition and the feds, each morning uh, we stood up uh, what I uh, defined as a unified leadership call. And that call was uh, the three HCA facilities in the direct impact zone, uh, any local uh, healthcare coordinators, 
the state of Florida, the ESF-8 or the emergency support function 8, which is health and medical at the state emergency operations center. And then the 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 regional emergency coordinators from ASPR. Uh, we're on a call and it started every day with uh, the state of Florida and the hospital association giving us essentially an overview, the state of wellness of healthcare in the community and impacts. It was pretty tremendous every morning. Uh, our facilities on what's your direct impact? What needs do you have? Um, and we very quickly realized that the community impact was tremendous. Uh, both of the, the acute care hospitals had direct strikes and that we could not get through this alone. Even with the resources that, that HCA as an enterprise has, uh, we still required the resources and collaboration from the state uh, to provide the community. And in turn, uh, our federal partners stood up. We requested federal assistance to DMAT or disaster medical assistance teams uh, to respond to our emergency departments for the mission of decompression. What that means is we knew that we can operate an emergency department we, we didn't have the surgical services, the cardiac services, all the needed services or admission. And, and with that, our emergency department quickly would be overwhelmed. This has been the quickest federal response to have federal boots on the ground that I've experienced in my career, where we had within less than 36 hours a fully established uh, DMAT um, base of operation uh, and special thank you to Massachusetts One, who was the DMAT team at, at Gulf Coast Regional and Delta One from Mississippi that was at Fort Walton Beach. Uh, and our colleagues from Michigan One, uh, some shout outs here, but th they absolutely deserve it because these are colleagues from all across the country that we collaborate with in, in a routine basis that, that come together as intermittent federal employees. They were there and without their assistance, we would have been crippled. We would have been overwhelmed. They were able to take on uh, a, a high portion of the, the ER volume that came in. Um, they would stabilize. We'd also stabilize. <clears throat> and then we'd use the, the local resource, either the helicopters to fly the critical patients out to other receiving centers or the uh, FEMA EMS teams two days to transport them by ground. And, and it wasn't unique to our facility, uh, um, the other community hospital in, in, uh, Panama City was in the same circumstance uh, where we had to do this. And what I would say is collaboratively, local, state, federal, and us as a private service coming together, there was no interruption in healthcare services to that community. And there continues not to be because of the collaboration. Uh, and I think that's pretty important because there's there's a lot of uh, commentary and rhetoric that goes on that, that talks about systems not effective and not working. Uh, I'd say in my experience, my observation, it was pretty tremendous uh, how they've come together to, to work collaboratively for the community. That's terrific, uh, Mike, and really good to know that you can depend on the government and the other officials at all those levels and other institutions to all row in the same direction when we're dealing with some the kind of challenges that we are. Absolutely. So with that, Mike, it really has uh, been a great opportunity to talk with you and uh, learn about how HCA faces these kinds of challenges. And particularly, as I mentioned, uh, having the unique aspect of a podcast where we can come back in and experience with you the most recent events before the podcast actually uh, plays uh, during our season. Uh, we had really a, a good discussion that, that should open a lot of eyes about being ready for as well as, well as meeting head-on 
uh, these challenges that hospitals and communities face uh, when there's a major event, whether it's you know weather or or man-made. So with that, I just want to appreciate you taking time this afternoon. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Hospitals in Focus. Please be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, your favorite podcast platform, or by visiting us at our website, fah.org. We hope you will share your reviews and tell a friend about us. Thanks so much for listening.